Well, good morning. Oh, hope you're good. Hope you've had a good weekend so far. Um, excited about today, and we're gonna uh, start doing something a little bit different um, on Sundays for a while. Uh, if you've been around a little bit, you've heard of us talk or heard us talk about uh, the 412 reading plan, um, and that's um, just a daily reading. Uh, that that uh, is laid out for you where we'll read through the Bible uh, together for the next year. And so uh, if you haven't checked that out, I would encourage you to. It's uh, on the website. It's on uh, the app. If you want to download that, you can go. And uh, at the bottom, it'll have 412. Click that. It'll take you right to it. Um, and so I would encourage you to take a look at that. I would encourage you to read it, not just to check off something to do, um, but to be reminded of who God is and what God's done for us, uh, just to realize and take advantage of the privilege we have that we can come to God in that way and that we can spend time in his presence and walk in his presence throughout our day. And so with that in mind, we're going to do something a little different on Sundays. We're going to start uh, preaching messages that come out of that week's reading. Uh, there's a lot of different scriptures that you read in that one week, and we're going to pray through, we've been praying through, like which one should we uh, teach on and preach on each Sunday. Um, to do this, we gotten really creative. We came out of the counterfeit series that was two weeks long. We got really creative. And since right now in our 412 reading, we are in uh, the gospel of Luke, we'll be in the gospel of Luke for the next couple of weeks. We're actually calling this uh, next couple of weeks Luke. And so we tried to get real creative and, and come up with something that would stick in your mind. So um, guess what the next one will be? Hey, there you go, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There you go. So anyway, we're going to be going through these scriptures and uh, looking forward to that and excited about that and um, just uh, know that God's doing some really awesome things and is going to continue. Uh, so today we're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 17. We're going to begin in verse 11. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you have your phones, you can light those up, whatever you need to do. And so before we jump in, though, I do want to take just a second, and, and I want to catch us up a little bit from last week. Normally, uh, when we come in here, most of the messages, they don't build on themselves. But I want to be able to bring you, if you weren't here last week, up to speed a little bit on what we talked about, because I believe it ties in directly, uh, not only to this message, but to a lot of the messages that you're going to hear because I believe it's the main message of the Bible. And so if you were here last week, uh, you remember that we, I hope you remember, that we started in Genesis, right? The very first book of the Bible. We, in fact, we started in the very first chapter of the Bible. And we looked at how when God created everything, he said that it was very good. He created it perfect. He, he created it um, where we had uh, three things that existed. When we look at creation in the beginning, we see one, that we had a perfect relationship with God. We see two, that we were whole. We were unbroken. We were connected to our image bearer as God created us in his image. And so we were able to see who we are, who we were created to be. 
Um, Adam and Eve, they, they knew God um, perfectly. They were able to see who they were created to be. So in and of themselves, they were right. They were right in and of themselves whole, not broken. The third thing that we see is that there was a perfect relationship together between Adam and Eve. We see that they were uh, united in a relationship that uh, God had created for them. Uh, but then we see where sin comes in. And so we see that, that they had a right relationship with others. But we see this, when sin comes in, these relationships and this right standing was broken. We get to Genesis chapter three, sin happens. We realize that, that they've been separated from God. They go to hide from God rather than drawing close to God. And so sin has separated them in this relationship from God. We see that they are broken in and of themselves, that spiritually now they are dead. They're, they're now broken instead of being right with themselves. They're no longer connected to their image bearer. They can no longer see uh, who they are or who they were created to be. And then we see even that they're broken in their relationship with each other. You get into Genesis 3 and what you begin to see is that Adam is actually um, blaming Eve for his sin. And so he looks at Eve now as not a blessing that God has given him, but he sees Eve as the source of his trouble. I know that would never happen in the world today, but... That's what happened in the garden is their relationship with each other was broken. The other thing we see in Genesis is our purpose. God tells us in Genesis 1:28 that we're to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth. He says, subdue it, rule over it. And so the purpose was to fill the earth, not just to fill it, but it would be filled with God's glory as mankind created in his image populated the earth. And so that was the purpose from the beginning. I'll tell you that the purpose has not changed. But when these three relationships were broken, the purpose could no longer be fulfilled in the way that God intended. Now, hang with me and we're going to get to the point. He, we come then to a man we talked about by the name of Abraham. How many of you have heard of Abraham? Who's heard of Abraham? If you haven't been in church, you've heard of Abraham. You may even sing a song or two about Abraham. Well, Abraham is the patriarch, the, the father of uh, the, the Jewish faith and the Christian faith as we have come out of Judaism, as Jesus came from the, the lineage of Abraham. And we see with Abraham that God begins to establish a relationship again with man. So he comes to Abraham with a purpose of, of making a nation that will be his people. And so he comes to him and he again establishes relationship. When you get to uh, another part of Genesis, when you begin to continue to read about Abraham, you realize how we're going to be made right again with God. Because Abraham is there, God is promising him that he's going to have descendants that are as numerous as the stars in the sky, but Abraham has no children. 
But when God tells him this, and he tells him, you're not gonna give everything that I've, I've, I'm gonna give you to your servant. I'm, you're gonna give all of it to a son that is your flesh and blood. And it says that Abraham believed God, and when he believed God, the Bible says God credited it to him as righteousness. And so right standing, God is showing us is going to come by faith, which is simply trusting in and recognizing and believing in who God is and what he's done and that his promises are true. We also see that this is bigger than Abraham because God promises Abraham that from his seed, from his lineage, the nations of the earth would be blessed. And so this is bigger than Abraham. God is telling us, I still have a purpose for you and I'm going to fulfill that purpose. This is something, a promise, a covenant, an agreement that God makes with Abraham and he says, this is what I'm going to do. Then we came to a man by the name of Moses. And we know that in Exodus 19, God makes a promise, an agreement with Moses. But it's a little different. He tells Moses and the Israelites that if you obey my law, the rules, the instructions, then you'll be my people. You'll be a holy nation. You'll be a priesthood for me. And so he gives them the law. The problem with the law is not that the law is not good, the rules aren't, that, the, that the rules aren't good. Where the law falls short is in our ability to keep it, that we can't keep it perfectly. And in this, God is revealing two things. He's revealing how righteous he is or his character and nature but he's also revealing our inability to make ourselves righteous. We all know this, that we can't keep the rules perfectly. We can't keep the law perfectly. And we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory. That's where we're all at. And so we recognize in this that the law could never, the rules could never make us righteous, but they reveal the perf perfection, the righteousness of God, and they show us our inability to be able to make ourselves right and righteous before God. And so then we see this and God has told us, he's preaching the gospel ahead of time or preparing us to receive the gospel and he's showing us that faith is gonna be our means of righteousness that we can never make ourselves right. Then we come to a man by the name of David. Everybody's probably heard of King David, David and Goliath. Well, God promises David that someone from his lineage will sit on the throne, rule over his people forever. So he promises this rulership will last forever. I want you to see in this that David was not the point. Again, it was bigger than David. David as king was pointing us to the king of kings. He was pointing us to one who would come. And Jesus came from the lineage of David. He came from uh, the line that came from David. And so we see that David is pointing us to a different king. He's pointing us to Jesus. Now, what I want you to see, and then we're gonna actually get into the message, all right? 
What I want you to see in this is that all of these were promises. Promises that this would be reestablished, that this would again be possible. But I want you to see that when they were given, they were only promises. But as we look and we see, as we come to the birth of Christ, the life of Christ, the death, the resurrection, all of those things, what we begin to see is that each one of those was fulfilled in Jesus that Jesus has given us back our relationship with God. Jesus has given us back the ability to be connected to our image bearer so that I'm not who I have been told I am. I'm not um, based off of the world's standards and what they tell me. I'm based off of the truth of God's word that says, yes, I'm a sinner, but Jesus has made me right by faith with him, now I can see myself in Christ versus just seeing myself by successes or failures or however I've defined myself. And so we see that this is reestablished. Once this is reestablished with God, we begin to walk in his love, his grace, his, his, his righteousness that he's given us, right standing. His love begins to overflow in our life. He gives us his spirit to produce love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, not because we just bear down and produce it ourselves, but because the spirit of God is producing it in us and we're able to again come into right relationships with each other. We not only walk in forgiveness, but we even find it in ourselves, the ability to forgive others and to walk right. And so I want you to see that in Jesus, These things were reestablished. Not only that, but Jesus is now sitting on the throne of God. He is there at God's right hand. He has defeated our enemies of sin, of death, of hell, the grave. He has defeated Satan so that now these three things have been given back to us and we can once again fulfill the purpose for which we were created. In other words, Jesus has set us free, not so that we can do our will, not so that we can do what we want to do, but so that we can do what we were created to do. And so he gives this back. Now, all of this points us to a fact, and that is this, and you can write this down. I'm not gonna write it up there, but that all of scripture is pointing us to the purpose for which Christ came. Every word points us to Jesus And Jesus came so that he could reconcile the world back to God. So that we could again be brought into right relationship. We could again begin to walk in wholeness and love, joy, peace, all of those things. We could see ourselves in Christ and from the overflow of that relationship, not the rules and trying to make myself acceptable, the love of God flows out of me. Jesus says in John 7, like rivers of living water, the spirit is flowing out of me into the lives of others. I'm compelled by the love of Jesus to go to the world and we again begin to see that the purpose of God to fill the earth with his glory has never changed, but now it is possible again. Again, and so I want you to see the Bible points us to this plan and execution of this plan of reconciliation. I'm gonna erase this so that we can actually start the message. 
but I want you to see that. I want you to remember that because it's going to play into a big part of what we talk about today. So Luke chapter 17, verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity or have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And at, as they went, they were cleansed. And so in this day, uh, when someone had leprosy, which could have been a number of different skin diseases, they were separated, they were ostracized, they were put outside the community of believers, they were seen as cursed, um, they, they were seen as cursed by God, they weren't allowed to come into the temple and worship, they were unclean in the eyes of the Jewish people, in the eyes of the Samaritan people, they were unclean. And so they, they were literally put outside away from everyone else. And so the only way they could be reinstated into the community was if they went to the priest and the priest saw that their skin, this disease was gone. Then they could pronounce them clean and they could go back into the community. And so that's what Jesus is telling them. Go show yourselves to the priest. It says, and as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except for this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Let's pray and uh, Pray that the Lord will open our eyes to this. Lord, thank you so much for who you are, your will, God, your plan of reconciliation that you fulfilled in Jesus, Lord. Open our eyes to see, open our ears that we can hear what the Spirit says to us. God, let us not lean on our own wisdom, our own understanding, God, but to trust in you with all our heart. Holy Spirit, I pray you would just move in our lives right here, right now. Send us out different than we came in. Renew our minds through the power of your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, quick question as I was thinking about this passage, but how many of you have ever felt like an outsider in some place that you've been, in some, some wherever it might've been? And, and, and most of us have probably experienced that at some point in time. When we moved here uh, to Statesboro in 1985, um, that's how I felt. I was 10 years old, so you can figure out how old I am, I know. I don't look, I probably look more like 24, but, but anyway, um, yeah, so that's not true, but anyway, we moved here in 1985, and uh, I had a hard time fitting in, and, and it, it took a long time for me to begin to make friends, and, and I think there were two reasons for that. One, 10-year-olds and kids, you know, they kind of have their group of friends and they're not always that welcoming to allow you in and allow you to uh, be a part of their group or whatever. And I think that was part of it. But the second reason probably played more into that. I had a rat tail that was like nine inches long when we moved to Statesboro. I don't know why, and some of you've heard this, but, but I don't know why that I thought that that was a good idea. I don't know why my parents thought it was a good idea that I grow one and let me, let me do it. But I found that my acceptability went way up when I cut that thing off. 
And so I ended up making friends, some of them I still have today. And uh, so eventually I kind of worked my way in. Well, that feeling of being an outsider, multiply that by about a hundred and you can begin to sort of get a glimpse of what it was like for these lepers. They were put outside the community, seen as cursed. They were separated from their families. They couldn't even come near to people. They had to keep their distance. And so their lives were basically over. Uh, Some forms of leprosy were so bad that uh, it would literally uh, begin to take off fingers. It would uh, begin to uh, distort their body. It would literally begin to kill them. Many lepers were seen as dead men walking. And so we see this when we come to these people here in the scripture, these 10 men who stood at a distance and hollered out to Jesus, have mercy on us. When we look at the text, it tells us first that Jesus is now on his way to Jerusalem. This is Jesus going to Jerusalem, uh, going to the crucifixion. He has in mind, I'm going to die. I'm going up there to fulfill the purpose for which I came. And this has got to be on his mind. But it's incredible to see that as we read this story, Jesus never becomes so preoccupied with himself and his own struggles or challenges or persecution that he's facing that he forgets the people who need him. It's the same for us today, and we can see this, that Jesus is still here for us. Jesus still comes to us, even in our brokenness and our shame, our guilt, our dysfunction. Jesus is still there. And we look at this, I want you to see first that Jesus is the first person we encounter in this story. So that I want you to again understand, just like when we looked at Genesis and we looked at Abraham, Moses, David, and we come to Jesus and I said, the point of it is Jesus. The point of it is the plan and execution of the plan of reconciliation. This account is no different. It's ultimately first and foremost about Jesus. And so we see him very clearly in this. When you go on and you keep reading, you come to a place where it says that he was walking through the border of Samaria and Galilee. Now this is significant because if he's walking on the border, on one side are the Samaritans, on the other side is the Jewish people. And we've got to understand, to really begin to see what this whole thing is about, that the Samaritans and the Jewish people hated each other. The Jews saw the Samaritans as people who were dysfunctional, unclean. They were um, outside of God. They were cursed because the Samaritans were half Jewish, half Gentile. And so they didn't see them as having any part with God because they weren't Jewish. The hatred of the Jews obviously created hatred of the Samaritans. They even disagreed on where they should worship. The Samaritans thought you should worship at Mount uh, Gerizim. And then the Jews thought worship was in Jerusalem. And so they really hated each other. It's a situation where they despised one another. And so you see Jesus walking on the border of Samaria, walking on the border of Galilee. On one side of him are the Samaritans. On one side is the Jews. And these are two people who are very far apart. These are people that we can see the brokenness of relationship between others existing 
right here. And yet Jesus stands between them. And that's going to be important because what we're going to see in this text is that Jesus came so that through faith in him, all of us can come to a place of being reconciled together. That we're first reconciled to God. We come into a relationship with him. We begin to walk in his grace, his love, the power of his spirit. It begins to flow out of us into the lives of others and the spirit binds us together in a relationship that is bigger than uh, 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 our ethnic background, that's bigger than the color of our skin, that's bigger than how much money we make, that's bigger than who my mom and daddy were, that's bigger than what school I went to. We realize that in Christ we were all the same, that at the foot of the cross the ground is level and if it weren't for faith in Jesus, we'd all bust the gates of hell wide open, that no one's better than another, and so we're all united and bound together by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he's literally bridging a gap that exists between two peoples. He's standing there. We go on and then we come to the 10 lepers. I've already talked a lot about what their life would be like. It was literally like hell on earth as they're separated from everything that they knew. But we see with the 10 lepers, three things that are specific to all of them. One is that their relationship with God is broken. We see that they can't even go into the temple. They can't go into the temple to worship. The Samaritans couldn't go into the temple at Gerizim. The, the, the Jews couldn't go into the temple in Jerusalem. So this relationship has no hope, no hope. We see also that they in and of themselves are broken. They literally carry within themselves the disease that has separated them from everything that they've known. They carry that in themselves. They are broken people with no hope of being made well. The third thing we see is the broken relationship with others. And so this relationship is broken. They can't have fellowship with anyone except for the ones that are like them who are diseased. They can't go to their family. They can't have relationships with normal people. They can't even walk through a market to go shopping for stuff. They, they have to stay away. This is a perfect picture of the brokenness of relationships. I want you to see that in this is something bigger than just what's going on with the lepers. This points us really and truthfully all the way back to the garden, to a situation that we all find ourselves in. This leprosy is not just about a physical thing. This leprosy points us to a spiritual issue for which we have no solution. It points us to the fact that sin has broken our relationship with God, that we are broken people, sinful and flawed, and that we're not even capable of having the relationships with each other that God wants us to have in and of ourselves. And so we see in this a huge issue. But Jesus comes to them, or they holler, come holler, we're in the South, so they holler. They call out to Jesus, have mercy on us, have pity on us. He says, go to the priest, go show them that you're 
healed. And in this, listen, all 10 went away. All 10 headed to the priest. Why? Because that's just what you did. Because that's how you were reinstated into the community. And so we see this, that all 10 had a measure of faith, but there's a difference. See, the nine who didn't return, they had a measure of faith. And we see out of their faith came obedience to go to the priest. We see out of their faith that came obedience that as they were walking, they became clean. But what we see is that their faith was based more in Jesus was a miracle worker. Jesus was a prophet. Jesus had some supernatural type of um, power that he was doing healings and casting out demons and doing all these things. And their faith was... Maybe he can make me well. But we come to this one man, and it says one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. And this is huge to see. Why would one person come back and the other nine go on to the priest? Why would one person come back to worship? He throws himself at the feet of Jesus. He prostrates himself on his face, worshiping God. The Bible says giving God praise, but he's bowing in worship to Jesus. Why would he come back and the other nine keep going? I'll tell you this, I believe this, that the reason he came back is because of exactly what the Bible says is that he saw, but it wasn't just that he's walking to the priest and he sees that his skin has cleared up and he sees that he's been made well. He also saw not just with physical eyes, but with spiritual eyes. And he recognized in Jesus something greater than a philosopher, something greater than a good man. He wasn't somebody to just come and make bad people good. He was somebody to come and make dead people alive. And so he recognizes in him God he sees God at work in Jesus he comes and he begins to worship Jesus because he has an understanding that is different than the nine that Jesus isn't just a man but he's a God man who's come to do something that nobody else can do and so he recognizes this and here's the question that I would ask you in this Why did the other nine keep going to the priest? And, and I wrestle with that all week. And I believe, I believe part of the reason that it's hard to understand that is why when Jesus is the one with the authority, with the power, when God was standing in front of them, why would they go back to a broken system that couldn't heal them in the first place. Why would they go back? I want you to see with these 10 lepers, and I want you to get this. If you're taking notes, I want you to see this, that the main point of this is that Jesus brings those who are far from God near. And I want you to see this with these lepers. 
Because here's the difference in a religious system that is based off of what we do and, and, and a relationship with God that is driven by faith and trust, that's driven by a relationship. When these 10 lepers or any leper for that matter, when they would go to the priest, they had to go cleansed. They had to go clean. They didn't go to the priest to be made clean. They went to the priest so they could inspect them and pronounce them clean. But when we come to Jesus, we see something very different. We see that they come unclean. They come cursed, they come broken, and Jesus cleanses them. So that there's a big difference in knowing Christ and a faith relationship with Jesus that I'm walking in and living in a religious system. A religious system says if I clean myself up, then I can come to God. Jesus says if you'll just come to me, I'll clean you up. I'll pour my love into you. I'll pour my grace out on you. I'll fill you with my spirit and your life will begin to exhibit the righteousness that I'm going to simply give you by trusting in me. It's a huge difference. The religious system says, get it together. Scripture, the Bible, the whole thing says that Jesus is the one who holds it together. We can't see Jesus as a part of our life like a drawer in a chest of drawers. He's the chest. He holds every part. He touches it all. He holds it together. He makes it right. He makes it clean. And when we see that and we recognize Jesus for who he is, we recognize Jesus for what he's done. We become, we become in awe of what has really happened. We, we begin to see that I, according to the law and the revelation of God that he's given us, according to his holiness, according to his perfection, I'm not like him. Holy, literally it means other. That we look at this and if we were in line with God, we would look at it and go, one of these things is not like the other one, right? So we see that he is other. And we recognize that I have no hope. I have no hope of restoring this. I have no hope of becoming whole. I have no hope of walking in the relationship in my marriage that God wants me to have, of walking in the relationship with my children that God wants me to have, of walking in the relationship with my coworkers, my fellow students, whatever it might be, my peers. I have no hope in and of myself, but when I simply see who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, I come to a place of recognizing that my hope is not in me, but my hope is in a person and his name is Jesus. By faith, God has established that from the beginning, that it would be by faith that these things were made right, that we were made right. And this one man comes back. The others opted for what they've known, what they'd been told, what they'd seen. This was just how it was done. We would never hear that in church. Well, this is just how we do it. This is what we've always done. 
And so we just kind of go through the motions of this religious system, trying to make ourselves okay. And not just in the eyes of God, but in our own eyes, trying to make ourselves to be approved of and accepted by others. But we're empty people who can't even love ourselves because we're constantly looking to take. We're empty people looking for what others can give rather than being filled by God so that we're looking to give out. We got to come to God in this relationship by faith, by trust, and lean into him coming boldly before his throne of grace that I can receive mercy, not because I've earned it, but because he's given it. And so that he can work in me and then work through me. But we can't get that backwards. We can't mess that up. I want you to see, and I've shown you this before, but I'm gonna show it to you until you get sick of seeing it and you're gonna say, well, he only preaches the gospel. Okay. But I showed you this the other day. I'll have to give you some heads up. That's a person. This is the world. It's not a soccer ball. And so I want you to see this, that even beginning with Abraham, God came to Abraham. Abraham didn't go to God. Abraham was a pagan man. He was a sinful person. There was no reason that God should have came to him, but God gives him his grace. He pours out his, his grace on his life. He makes him righteous by faith. He establishes this. This is still the way it works today. You didn't find God. God came to you. If he had not revealed himself to you, you would never have known him. And so God comes to us. He opens our eyes. We begin to see him. We see the, the love and grace that he pours out on us. We begin to receive that. And then we begin to see who we are in Christ, that I'm not working for accepted, I've, acceptance. I've been accepted, that I'm not trying to be loved. I am loved. And when God pours his love into us, we're able to reciprocate it. But understand this, that your love for God is still dependent on the grace of God because if he doesn't pour it into our hearts, we've got nothing to give back. And one of the reasons that we don't come in and worship, one of the reasons we don't worship throughout the week uh, with our lives, not just with music, is because we're not getting anything here. We're not walking in this. But what happens is God pours it in, we give it back. He gives it liberally. He gives his spirit liberally, generously, overflowing. And we become compelled by the love and grace of God to go to the world. It's not just I have to, it's I've got to because there's something in me that I've got to share with other people. And so he's filling me up, I'm overflowing, I'm going to the world, and guess what begins to happen? The earth, as other people encounter God, they begin to recognize the reality of Jesus and who he is. More and more people are walking in the power of the Spirit. Their lives are being transformed. We're being uh, made into the righteousness of Christ, growing into the righteousness of Christ, and then the earth again is filled with his glory. And I want you to know that just like he said to Abraham, it's not a Statesboro thing, a Georgia thing. It's not a United States thing. It's a whole world thing. God's desire is that every inch of the earth would bring him glory. And so we are called and compelled by love. And then when the earth is filled with his glory, guess what happens? Who's glorified? So it begins with God. It ends with God. 
and he's glorified. The, the very purpose in Genesis 1:28 that God gave us from the beginning. And so we see this, but let me show you what happens. This is how we typically live. Me oftentimes included. Is this, this, let me put my man up there. This is how it begins, right? For many of us. For others of us, we haven't even recognized this because we've never seen it. Because Satan has blinded the eyes of the church so that we just get in a system of doing and we're never receiving. We get in a system of just doing the right thing to try to make ourselves acceptable. If I can go and do enough, maybe I'll be accepted by God. And if I'm accepted, God will love me. But look, where does that start? It starts with me. It starts with me. And in that mindset, this is what happens. I begin to work really hard. I begin to clean myself up a little bit. On my good days, I can come to God because I can see maybe God does love me. On my bad days, I do like Adam. I go hide so that maybe he can't find me. But on those good days, I'm accepted. And then I can come to God and then God will love me. But where does it start and where does it end? It begins with me. It begins and ends with me. And so what we have to see is this that we'll never, ever, ever bring God glory until we realize that it starts and ends with God. It can't start and end with you. It can't start and end with me. I am 100% incapable of doing this on my own. It's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit and we're instructed to walk in the Spirit. It's because if it was the fruit of Brandon, it would not be good fruit. And so we have to see and, and walk in this. That's why we have a 412 reading plan. It's not so you can check it off and be a good Christian and so I can walk in the door on Sunday and I feel good about myself and I'm way doing better than they are because I read every day this week. It's recognizing those four questions. Who is God? Who am I? Apart from Christ, I'm a sinner. What's he done? I look and I see the cross. And then the last one is, who have I become? It's amazing to me that when we read the writings of the Apostle Paul, he begins nearly all of his letters addressing the saints. Were anybody in that church perfect? No. So how were they made right? How could they even be called saints? It was because of their faith in Christ. You read about some of the stuff going on in those churches and they were really no different than we are today. But yet made righteous in Christ. And we see this when we come to scripture and we begin to see who is God, who am I? What's he done? Who have I become? Again, it leaves us in awe. We see who God is, perfect and right. We see what God's done. He's bridged this gap between me and him because I'm not like him. And that's why I worship. That's why I live for him. It's not because I'm afraid or I need to do the right thing. It's because I am in awe of his grace and love so that I worship because of who he is. He's right. He's perfect. He's just. 
And then I see what he's done. He's given us a way to come to him. Then I look at it and I go, who am I? I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. I know. But I see what he's done. I see who I've become. And all of that becomes the motivation that drives me to God, not away from God. And so I see this. I want you to see that Jesus finishes this and he says to this, this, the group that's around him, he says, no one returned except for this foreigner. Everybody's standing there when this is a Samaritan who's come back would recognize in this that this was not acceptable. This was not supposed to happen. Jesus, a Jewish man, was not supposed to be even interested in interacting with a Samaritan. And yet Jesus says, this foreigner has come back. I want you to understand today that we were all foreigners separated and far from God. You may not have a testimony that would leave us with our mouth open wide because of all the terrible things you've done and all the terrible things you've thought and all the things you've been a part of. You might not have that testimony that to the human ear makes us go, wow, but this is what I can tell you. Apart from faith in Christ, you too would have busted the gates of hell wide open. So no one's any better than the other. We've all been separated. We've all been broken. We've all been estranged from each other. And yet God gives this back to us. But we don't go back to this broken system. We don't allow the church even to insert itself between us and God. We don't allow the church even to just tell us what we're supposed to do. We're not called to have a hierarchy, an organization, an institution. We're called to be brothers and sisters side by side, walking through life together together, receiving from God and it pouring out into our lives so that we're bound together by the power of the Holy Spirit united around the gospel. And then when that begins to happen, we are compelled to go to the world. And so our love exists in the church. Our love exists in the world. God is glorified, but the church has existed too long to program your life, not get you connected to a relationship with God. No one but Jesus has the right to stand between you and the Father. He's the only mediator. When we begin to see this, we begin to see what Scripture is revealing from the first word to the last word. We find out that we're all just in this together that I'm not better. I don't have like a Batman phone to God. I don't have any special access to him. You, if you have faith and trust in Jesus, have the same access that I have. I'm just up here talking for too long so that I can do the part I'm called to do. I'm just a part. But we're bound together by something bigger. Jesus has brought those who were far from God near. That's every one of us. That's every one of us. And he's done that by faith and trust in what he has done. He did that because of who he is. I told you this last week, but if I were God, I would have just destroyed it, started over. He could have had a new beginning in seven days. Six really, and then he could rest. But God's not that way. He didn't give up. He knew the plan. He knew before he created any of it that Jesus was coming for us. And he reveals that to us through scripture. 
that Jesus was coming to live, to die on a cross, to take the curse from us so that we could be blessed in the presence of God with his power and purpose, being able to be fulfilled again. He was our substitute. He took the place of us who should have been on the cross taking the wrath of God. And I want you to see that the cross is where the love and mercy and grace of God met his wrath and hate towards sin. And it all fell on Jesus in that time. It's the only way that we could have been made right and God stay righteous. Someone had to die. Someone had to take the wrath, the judgment, the condemnation for sin. God so loved the world that he took it for us. So here's the deal. If you don't have that relationship, listen, if you try to wait till you clean yourself up, you're never gonna get there. But if today you'll simply say by faith, I'm trusting in what Jesus has done. And you may have walked in this BS system, this broken system for most of your life. But I hope that the power of the Holy Spirit, not the wisdom of man or by a bunch of scribbling on a board, but by the power of the Spirit, maybe you're seeing that there's more to it that we missed the point in a large sense. And if today you would say, I wanna be restored in that relationship with God, I want to be connected to my image bearer and walk in the truth of Christ, no longer defined by the world, but defined by the word. I wanna be filled, I wanna overflow into the world around me. Then listen, that, that's salvation. And if today you say, yeah, that's what I need, that's what I want, that's what God's speaking to my heart, and you sense that the Spirit of God's drawing you near, you realize that God has brought those who are far from Him near. And today you say, that, hey, that's me. I'm just gonna ask you to stand up and let's just celebrate with you and help you take your next steps. Today you just know that the Lord is drawing you to Himself and you'd be willing to say, this is the first step I need to take. Maybe you need to get out of a broken system. Maybe you need to come for the first time into a relationship with Jesus. This is what I wanna do. I wanna pray for us that each one of us would leave here, that our minds would begin to be renewed according to the word of God, not according to our experiences about what we have learned about God through experience, but what we see in the truth of his word that God would renew our minds. So let's pray together and ask God to help us in this. Lord, thank you so much for the truth of your word, God, that you have from the very first word to the last word revealed Jesus to us, your plan and execution of that plan to reconcile us, to bring those who are far off near. God, I thank you for that because not for Jesus, I'd be far off. I'd be incapable. God, not through my ability or our ability, but through the work of Jesus, we can come to you. And I thank you for that. I pray, God, that that would sink deeper and deeper into our heart. And the truth of that would begin to renew our minds so that we begin to see the way you see. God, we love you and thank you that you loved us even when we are unlovable. That you came to us. 
God, leave us in awe of your perfection and how you've brought us to yourself. We love you and thank you so much in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys. I hope you have a good week.